Hey everyone, we just launched a new show called Request for Startups. In the first season, we've got a rotating lineup of tech founders and investors joining me to share their requests for startups they want to exist in the world, and also share their stories of navigating the idea maze in different sectors so founders don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore. The first episode is out now. We cover better dating apps, references as a service, and we work for productivity. Listen first, then build. Video episodes of the show are on our Substack. You'll find a link in the description. And if you could get hundreds of millions of people who are connected to one another, creating a format that doesn't easily travel to other platforms, that's extremely valuable. It seemed like every couple of months, there's a new podcast player coming out and everyone's got a unique spin. There's two things to note about that. Number one, the reason there's so many is because they're actually not that hard to build, right? Like you can, you can leverage the standard and you get to market. But the reason that, that none of them ever really go anywhere is, that is, is one can never be 10 times better than the other because they're both limited by the same constraints. All roads lead to TikTok. Like TikTok is the ultimate optimization of an ads-based social media model, right? Just maximize engagement. If you maximize engagement through algorithmic content discovery, then you're probably going to have the perfect machine that is TikTok. I do wonder, is there, is there a model or a product where a, for, for consumer social where the AI can kind of go to work for the consumer. Welcome to Media Empires, where we sit down with the most intellectual media creators right now to learn exactly how they built their empires. Our aim is to extract the secrets of top tier podcasters, newsletter authors, and media creators who are breaking the old rules for media success. Whether you're looking to start your own empire or simply curious about the nuts and bolts behind media businesses, you'll find valuable insights and tactics in each episode. Grab your headphones, let's dive in. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio, not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short form clips directly from Riverside. Because as any listener of this show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for Riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code Media Empires to get a 20% discount. Hey, everybody. Today's episode is with Michael Mignano, co-founder of the podcasting platform Anchor and venture capitalist at Lightspeed. In this episode, Michael and I discuss the democratization of audio on social platforms, how AI may be able to work for consumers, and so much more. This episode is a masterclass for anyone interested in the world of audio content. This will also be the final episode for season one of Media Empires, so stay tuned for season two and check out Turpentine's other shows, like Moment of Zen, Upstream, Turpentine VC, Econ 102, and more. Without further ado, here's Michael. So, Michael, welcome to Media Empires. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks, Eric. Good to see you. Likewise. Uh, so we're going to get into the, the business of, of audio, of, of media, of social. Um, but first, by way of introduction, for people who aren't super familiar, Michael, why don't you give a brief background of the, of the anchor story in terms of what you saw in the market that inspired you to start it, uh, perhaps, the, uh, and then leading up to the, the pivot and then, and then acquisition. That'll set the stage for, for you know, giving your perspective on, on this broader topic. Sure, sure. So, yeah, so back in 2014, my co-founder, Nir Zickerman, and I, were working at Adobe. We had uh, we had both been at another company called Aviary for a while. I ran product there um, near ran sort of backend server engineering, and the whole mission of Aviary was effectively to democratize creativity. So you know the, the company was was born 
uh, Aviary, the company, was born sort of during the era of when Photoshop had gotten really, really popular, but it was still, you know, it was, it was all desktop based. It was expensive. Aviary wanted to put Photoshop-like tools in the browser and make them free. They did that for a couple of years, um, got traction, but but the business model didn't really work out. And then Instagram took off. And at that point, Aviary said, you know what, let's actually migrate these tools to mobile and let's build an SDK that enables anyone and everyone on the planet who wants to be creative to be creative. And I mention all that because that mission really, really resonated with uh, the entire team and, and, and definitely, especially Nir and me. And so uh, after Aviary got acquired by Adobe and Nir and I were at Adobe, we, we happened to get very into podcasts, much like lots of other people in the world around the time. This was, like I said, around 2014. Um, you know, if you were around back then, you, you, you know, th observing podcasts, you may remember that this was the year that, uh, the podcast serial really took off and like really blew up and kind of made everyone in the world aware of podcasts and near and I were, were no exception to that. We, we were people that just saw this format and discovered sort of how awesome this format for the first time was just like so many other people. And we had tried to make podcasts ourselves as well. We had tinkered with uh, the process and we just found it to be really hard, quite frankly. Like we just, uh, we felt that doing what we're doing right now, uh, you know, uh, capturing high quality audio and video with expensive hardware and confusing software and paying for, you know, file hosting just felt completely different than, you know, tapping a button on your phone to take a picture and share it with your friends. Like it was just the two processes couldn't be more different from one another. And that was really the inspiration behind Anchor and, and, and how we sort of got started. Um, you know, the, the very first versions of Anchor, which which you may remember, Eric, because I, I know you were part of the community back then. It was more of a social network. We although we were inspired by the friction of podcast recording, we actually wanted the format to be shorter form, lightweight, more interactive. We felt, we felt podcasts had baggage and we felt that to truly democratize audio, which was the mission of the company, we couldn't just make the tools easier. We had to, we had to create a, a new format of audio. Um, so that was, that, that, that was sort of the uh, first, first few versions of Anchor and, and yeah, you know, th there's, there's sort of like a, a whole journey, a whole lifetime of lessons that, that came between that point and, and the pivot, which you mentioned, um, I sort of maybe, maybe throw it back to you. Like if it's worth diving into some of those lessons or you just want to hear about the pivot. Why don't you get into some of the lessons? Okay. So, so first off, you know, I think we sort of naively thought that if you gave a bunch of people a, a creative tool. They would just surprise you and make awesome stuff. And it turns out that effectively just putting a, you know, a voice, effectively a voice memo tool in the hands of people um, isn't enough. So we launched the first version of Anchor. It was effectively like, it was a social network, to be honest. It was Instagram for audio. It was a feed of two minute audio clips. And we saw pretty instantly that people were excited to make audio. People were creating, lots of people were creating actually. But uh, but two minute voice memos are are just not that compelling to listen to. <laughs> they're just not. Uh, there, there was excitement, I think, just because it was novel and, and nobody nobody had really done this before, and so a lot of people came in. But you know, the retention in the product it quickly waned because this just this content was just not interesting. <laughs> so you know, we we spent 
a lot of time iterating and trying to trying to sort of regain some of the the excitement that happened around the the launch of the product and ultimately came to the conclusion that you know what this product is flawed uh this is this is not going to work and so after about six months we we scrapped the product we literally blew it up and started started over and for the second iteration of the product we learning about that you know learning that lesson of the format was just not that interesting we put all of our effort and energy into creative tools. So, you know, background music and lightweight editing and mixing in sound effects and the ability to uh, remotely talk to somebody else through your phone. And when we launched that version of the app, about a year after the original version, we just saw immediate improvements in quality. Like it was night and day, it was like a light switch. And that was really, really cool. Um, that was like, wow, we learned something and we actually, we acted on the learnings and we, and we got it right. You know, this is like, it was like classic, you know, listen to your customers, iterate, move fast and good things will happen. And, and, and that's what happened. Once again, lots of excitement. Um, and once again, uh, disappointment several months later when we realized that the product was once again flawed. And, and in this case, it wasn't that the quality of the content was bad. The quality of the content was actually quite good. But um, at this point, what, what people were creating with Anchor actually sounded like podcasts. It sounded like what, what you and I are doing right now is people having more long form discussions, you know, people putting in these musical intros. It, it felt like a podcast. And that was both good and bad. The, the good side of it was that it was something that people wanted to listen to the bad side of it was now uh, anchor the app uh, was effectively in competition with every podcast player in the world and anchor the app didn't have all of the world's podcasts in it it only had the podcast or you know we actually called them something different at the time it only had the audio that was being created in anchor and so the the lesson there was um, you know if, if if, if, if you're going to democratize the creation of a, of a familiar format, we, we had to rely on distribution channels that actually put our content alongside all, all the rest of the world's content. So literally with a couple of months of runway left in the bank, um, we realized we needed to make a big change. And we, we basically set an aggressive, like uh, I've written about this in the past, like this super aggressive, like 10% week over week, growth goal. We said, Hey, for the next three months, we have to grow 10% week over week. We have to, otherwise our growth is going to flatline. We're going to go out to raise our next round and we're dead. Um, and through this process of like holding ourselves to this really, really high growth standard, it sort of forced us to question a lot of our original assumptions, forced us to throw out some of our original kind of product principles. And we decided that we were going to break a rule that we had. And we're going we're gonna to help people distribute their content off of Anchor. So we're going to let, let people make podcasts with Anchor, tap a button, and put them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now, now doing that was a, was a whole other challenge. It actually, there were no APIs to distribute to Apple Podcasts. And so we actually hired a bunch of college students to basically wait for people to want to distribute their podcasts. And when they did, we had them create RSS feeds and submit them to Apple. And the, the, the creator had no idea this was happening. That people were like running around in this room to like get the podcast distributed. Um, but it worked. It was like one of those two things that don't scale things. And uh, and the moment we did that, everything changed. Like th that's when the product really took off. That's when it was almost it was obvious almost immediately that we had product market fit. 
we had we had solved a pain point for people in that there were many many people that wanted to create podcasts they weren't able to do that now with this new tool they could and uh and and from there it was really off to the races uh fa fascinating thanks for the overview if, if you could start anchor uh if, if uh, in 2023 what knowing what you know now and knowing how the ecosystem has evolved what approach would you take the, the, the tricky thing about that question is, is podcasts have changed so much. I'll, I'll give you a good example. You and I are, are looking at each other right now, you know, back in 2024 or 24, 2014, 24, back in 2014, 2015, video podcasts were not really a thing. I mean, they existed, but you know, we're talking like less than 1% of all the podcasts in the world were video podcasts. Now video is kind of, is becoming everything in podcasts. It's almost weird if you launch and distribute a podcast without video. And, uh, and that, I think that presents a, a real opportunity for creators because it enables you to distribute your podcast in more places, right? So because you're capturing video of this podcast, you can put it on Spotify and Apple podcasts, you know, where you would have put it before, but you can also put it on YouTube. You can also cut it up into clips and put it on TikTok and reels and basically anywhere that supports video. Um, the second thing I would say is many more podcasts are now recorded remotely. Whereas, you know, in the early days of, of, of podcasting, it was all done in rooms, right? It was done in, you know, if you and I, if you were interviewing me, you'd invite me over to your studio and like, we'd sit there across a table and, but COVID changed all that. Like COVID, COVID forced people to adopt products like Riverside, which we're using now and Zoom to record podcasts. And so it all happens remotely. So if I were to start a podcasting platform today, I, I would I would really lean into uh, video. I would really lean into remote capture, and you know I would think about I would think about sort of like talking heads conversations as a as a unique format, right? Like this format that we have. Yes, it's called a podcast, but it's it's actually pretty unique, and there are probably some cool things that software or technology could do to this format to make it feel differentiated and different than just like a flat YouTube video. So that those are some of the things I would think about now. Of course, you'd still have to think hard about distribution and sort of establishing your own proprietary format versus just distributing to YouTube. Um, and those are those are um, those are tricky strategic questions. And I think the answers to those would 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 not only drive like near-term versus long-term success, but also, um, you know, ultimate sort of long-term value of the company. Basically what I'm saying is um, I believe that that products, uh, especially media products that define their own proprietary formats and gain traction for those formats end up becoming far, far, far more valuable than products or tools that simply just distribute um, an existing media format elsewhere, which by the way, to be clear, is what Anchor was, right? Like we ultimately distributed uh, a not a proprietary format. And so in some ways, the original version of Anchor, the upside was, was somewhat limited. On the other hand, if you, if you take advantage of an existing format, um, it's much more easier to grow and it's much, much more easier to gain traction up front because you're, you're, you're producing something that's familiar and, um, and something that can travel to other platforms. Anyway, there's, there, there is a lot to unpack there. I could probably go on about that for a, you know, a whole, a whole podcast episode, but um, those are some of the things I'd be thinking about to answer your question. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, right? You know, the last decade um, 
you know, people have been, VCs have gotten excited about podcasts and they've made a bunch of different bets in different spaces. You know, the number of different uh, podcast players have been tried, a number of different kind of like podcast analytics uh, tools um, have been tried. Uh, you know, there've been a bunch of social audio networks. You know, Clubhouse was the, was the most fa famous one recently um, that for people that people got really excited about. And so now that you've gone on to the investing side of the table, I mean, uh, another fair answer what could have been in 2023, you wouldn't start a podcast startup, but, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am curious if, if, if there is any real white space or any, any opportunity um, in, in the space that we've been, uh, or the broader kind of ecosystem that has not yet been, been tapped or, or um, done super well. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, per personally, I don't think I would start, um, well, there's a couple, couple, couple things. First thing is, you know, over the past eight years or so, there's been a lot of um, demand for podcast studios, right? The Gimlets of the world, the Wondries. And I think that I think that made a lot of sense for the time. I don't know that it makes a lot of sense now. I sort of think that the demand for those companies really had to do with sort of like the land grab of bigger platforms and media companies that wanted to get into podcasting quickly and wanted to establish an offering that was differentiated. And, you know, we've seen this play out in other mediums before, right? Like videos, streaming videos, an example, you see this as like a new service pops up, they acquire tons of different studios and rights because they want to make sure they have a differentiated catalog to attract a, an audience. And so I, I think that's kind of what happened between let's call it 2018 and, and, 2020, 2021, I think you were seeing these big platforms and media companies recognize that there was a big opportunity in podcasting. And so it was, hey, let's go grab as many rights as we can. I think I think most of the interesting titles or podcasts have, have now been acquired and, and sort of like that, that strategy is sort of done. It's like, we've checked the box. That's not to say like, you know, this podcast, if this blows up and becomes the world's biggest podcast, I'm pretty sure like, you know, you're going to get a call from one of the big platforms or media companies saying, Hey, like come do this uh, exclusively on our service. But I think most of the unique content has been locked up. So that that's those types of businesses. I probably would not want to start one of those. And to be clear, I, I didn't want to start one of those back, you know, in 2014 either, because I'm not like a content guru, you know, I'm not a content expert. Um, I'm not Alex Blumberg and Matt Lieber. Like they, they were the perfect people to start Gimlet. Um, as far as like a, a, a meet, like a tool or a creation platform, um, or maybe just like a, uh, a creator platform, I, I, I do think there remains opportunity. I, I kind of always think there's opportunity for new media formats and, and, and sort of, um, more democratized means of creation. I, I don't think. The original, sorry, the 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 final version of Anchor before we sold is necessarily as interesting as it used to be, um, but I but I do actually, <laughs> I do think something along the lines of what we talked about earlier could be compelling. Um, to me, it's all about if if you could establish your own proprietary format, right? Like if think about Instagram or Snapchat, like it was great that Instagram was able to democratize the creation of photos, right? But the thing that really, well, two things in my mind that like really established value for a company like Instagram were number one, the network, right? Like the net, the, the social network of people 
the graph of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people and the connections between them. And then number two, the proprietary unique format. Now, you could say that the original Instagram format was not that proprietary. It was just a square photo. Um, I think it somewhat was in that it was very hard for that content to travel to other places by the way they established sharing. But I think stories arguably were much, much more defensible and differentiated and proprietary. And, and if you could get hundreds of millions of people who are connected to one another, creating a format that doesn't easily travel to other platforms, that's extremely valuable. So back to the podcast question, like if somebody could do that for audio and maybe audio video, like we're talking now, I, I certainly think that could be compelling because I do think there's plenty of demand for for what you're doing right now. There's demand to hear people talking to one another. There will always be demand for that. Now, I don't know exactly what that company looks like. And if and if I did, I'd probably start it or I'd probably, you know, I'd, I'd probably be out there trying to fund it. Um, but, but, but that doesn't mean it can't exist. And, you know, I'd be curious to see someone do it. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. What are your thoughts on the, uh, analytics uh, opportunity, um, or the, uh, I guess this goes to your format bit, but like the player, like, you know, breaker was a compelling attempt. Like, do you think something like that can, can work or is that kind of what you're talking about, but just in a different, different way? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, I think as long as the format is based on RSS, I don't think that can work. And, you know, all, all respect to the breakers of the world. I think there were plenty of apps that made really interesting products that tried to layer in some uniqueness to podcasting. But the truth of the matter is, um, because podcasts, RSS-based podcasts, that I, I sort of caveat it because they're, they're, they're starting to change quite a bit. Um, and we can get into that, but I, I do think like RSS based podcasts, podcasts that are distributed through RSS feeds, which represents the, I would say the vast majority of, of podcasts in the world right now, because they're based on a standard and because changing that standard, the, the RSS standard is so hard, not that it's impossible. Um, and I've written a bit about this. I've written, I, I wrote a piece called the standards innovation paradox, which sort of, sort of touches exactly on your question. You know, building with standards is great because it enables people, companies, services to enter a market very, very quickly, right? Like if I launch a podcast, I can get distribution for that podcast immediately because there are a bunch of apps out there that support RSS. The flip side, if I'm Breaker, if I'm a company that wants to build a podcast player, if I support the RSS standard, boom, I can ingest, you know, millions of podcasts into my app and have a full catalog of audio. Now that's great because it means that um, the cliff to, 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 to do something that has some, some level of product market fit is probably like pretty short. Like you could probably get there pretty quickly. The bad thing about it or the challenge with it is the limits of what you can do with your experience um, are, 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 are sort of fixed by definition by the format. Right. If you break the format and you want to do something super compelling and different and unique and differentiated, you're giving up the benefits of the format. Right. Like if you're if you want to make podcasts, the format of the podcast fundamentally different or unique inside of your listening app. Um, now, all of a sudden, you don't get the benefits of everything that comes in the RSS feed. And so you need creators to come to your app and do something specific just for your app. And so um, you're kind of you, there's kind of like a ceiling. 
And as a result, just to sort of go back to your original question, I think that's why we saw, you know, over the past, like somewhere, let's call it between 2014 and 2020, it seemed like every couple of months, there's a new podcast player coming out and everyone's got a unique spin. There's two things to note about that. Number one, the reason there's so many is because they're actually not that hard to build, right? Like you can, you can leverage the standard and you get to market. But the reason that, that none of them ever really go anywhere is, that is, is one can never be 10 times better than the other because they're both limited by the same constraints. So you end up with like this really fragmented market of products that if you squint all kind of look the same, maybe a little different around the margins, but not 10x better such that anyone will ever fundamentally break out. And, and frankly, like this is why Spotify was successful, right? Like, yes, when they first entered podcasting, they were limited by the constraints of RSS. Originally, that has since changed. But they had an advantage that no other company had, which was they already had a user base of hundreds of millions of people listening to audio. So if they could just bundle podcasts in, even fixed to the RSS format, into the same experience where you know hundreds of millions of people were already listening to audio, they can immediately gain distribution for a brand new product offering that you know the breakers of the world just just could never compete with. Um, yeah, so so that so that's that's sort of how I think about like opportunities on the podcast player side. If if that answers your question, yeah, no, it does. How about on the analytics side? It's, it's you know podcasts are famous for having really terrible analytics. Is there something that could really be improved here? So podcast analytics, it, it, it's a similar question actually because um, the the analytics that podcasts that are that are that are that are based or distributed via RSS. Um, get back to the creator or whatever are, are limited by the RSS. So, so, you know, you really don't see anything. Uh, you, you really just see what comes back in like, so in the, um, in the HTTP headers, you see, you, you see if the, if the podcast was, was downloaded and like, you know, you can, you can, you can learn a few things about the user based on like the IP address that's, that's downloading the file, but that's about it. And so it takes, a fundamentally different format. So, so Spotify, for an example, I, I, I mentioned this in the last question. Spotify, Spotify's been public about this. You know, podcasts are being distributed to Spotify now through Anchor, um, not just via RSS, and that's how they're able to do things like these, you know, these Q and A's, these inter interactive questions, these new monetization products. They're doing these things because they have the creation tools, Anchor, and the consumption tools, Spotify, all in the same software stack. So they don't need to rely on RSS to connect the dots. And because of that, they can provide really interesting analytics to the creators. They can say like, hey, here at this point in the episode, this is where your, your, your listening dropped off. Or, you know, they can say like, here are the listening habits of, of listeners to your podcast because they have that proprietary information through the Spotify app. And they can pass it back to the creator outside of our, our like go around RSS. Um, unless there's another product or platform that can distribute outside of RSS, it's, it's just kind of fundamentally impossible to innovate on the analytics. And, you know, I think that's another reason why podcasting is probably going to get a lot more interesting over the next few years, because as we talked about with video becoming a bigger focus in podcasts, so many podcasts are on YouTube now and YouTube obviously has their own set of proprietary analytics. So I get, I guess what I'm saying is there is, there is definitely going to be continued sort of innovation and iteration on podcast analytics, but I think it will be somewhat limit, somewhat limited in the near term to 
the platforms that have been able to sort of capture both sides of the market. That makes sense. L let's riff a, a bit more on kind of, you know, let's say we're having this conversation five years from now and we're kind of reflecting on the changes that have happened in, in the you know preceding five years. Is it likely to be just incremental and they, hey, just more, more podcasts, more niche, you know, podcasts that are better and better? Like what are, what are the big forks in the road for the, for the ecosystem as a, as a whole? And, you know, what are the big questions? How, how could they play out? Yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's so many directions things can go. I mean, I, I personally believe that all, all media formats and I think podcasts are no exception. This is again, one of the big inspirations behind anchor, like they become democratized. The tools get easier. The, the format becomes more accessible. Everyone gets to participate. If this format that you and I are, are talking in right now continues to accelerate in terms of popularity and demand, one prediction I have is like, it seems inevitable that the TikToks of the world or the YouTubes of the world will want to accelerate the creation of this content. And so, you know, I've, I've seen rumors that like TikTok is experimenting with podcast listening or backgrounding of audio. I don't see why TikTok wouldn't make it easier to make content like this, right? Or YouTube shorts or YouTube. So I think, uh, I think the space, the creation of media in the space continues to be democratized, which means many, 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 many more creators, um, which inevitably means um, more investment in personalization and discover machine learning based personalization and discovery of podcast content as a necessity, right? Like what we've seen on YouTube is there's so many videos, there's so many channels, there's so many creators that you inevitably need better recommendations and better personalization. And that's really something that hasn't, that hasn't really happened in podcasting yet, the same way we've seen it happen in video and other formats, right? Like if you go into Spotify, if you go into Apple podcasts, you're still kind of, there is personalization, don't get me wrong, but it's not like YouTube where you're rabbit holing, right? Where you listen to it, you watch a video and then like you're onto some other video you've never heard of or contemplated before. Um, podcasts haven't really been, um, you know, sort of TikTokified yet. Um, recommendation media hasn't really hit it yet. And so I expect a, a much bigger ocean of, of content and I expect much more personalization uh, to, to the discovery experience, I would say. What about uh, on the incumbents when you think about, you know, Apple and Spotify and Amazon and, and other kind of big players, like how do you expect, um, th those, those competitions to, 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 to play out or what are the big questions? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not a Spotify anymore, but you, I mean, I would say it's, it's pretty easy to see even in their most recent earnings and, and things that they've announced, like they're continuing to invest in the format. Clearly they believe in podcasting. It, it also seems like YouTube clearly believes in podcasting. They're starting to make investments. You know, I, I never really know about Apple. Um, you know, we always used to, to, to scratch our heads back in the day when we were making Anchor, why Apple wasn't being more aggressive here. And, you know, we always used to wonder, is there some master plan we're missing here? The conclusion that I ultimately came to is Apple, Apple just has bigger fish to fry. I mean, th these AirPods that I'm wearing, like, you know, I think they generate... Um, I don't know, like tens of billions of dollars uh, per year in revenue for Apple. Whereas the podcasting market in the US is still like, it's not even like $2 billion, right? So part of me wonders, having, you know, having worked in big companies, if it's just more of a prioritization exercise and maybe Apple has decided that podcasting is just not a big enough priority. 
Um, but I certainly expect many of the other platforms, the media platforms, the Spotify's, the YouTube's, perhaps the TikTok's, like we mentioned, um, to invest here because I, because if you look at the data, I mean, podcast listening does continue to, to increase year over year. And I think if, I think if big platforms identify that there is an opportunity for a new format, uh, they will, they will inevitably try to win over the demand of that format. Yeah, that, that, that's a helpful overview. Um, I'm curious if you've explored uh, creator financing at all. Like, did you uh, at, at one point consider like a, a Y Combinator for podcasters? Or um, like, do you think something like that will exist? Will there be kind of funding mechanisms for, for creators? Yeah, I, I do. I do think that will exist. Or sorry, let me caveat that. I do think it can exist. I think the the trend and and to some degree it does exist, right? I mean, there have been various creator programs that have been tried by the big platforms. I also think that advertising kind of does serve as some form of this in some way. Uh, I think the biggest platforms obviously, uh, you know, are, are best positioned to do this because they have so much data that they can really kind of smartly calculate uh, the LTV of a creator's contribution to the platform and then therefore understand what sort of the upper limits are of what they can give this creator in terms of funding. I think smaller platforms will, will struggle with this um, because they just don't have enough data to really understand what a creator is worth. You know, we did something with Anchor back in the day where we launched a, uh, we launched an advertising platform called Sponsorships where we were aggregating up our creators podcasts and then bundling them together for advertisers. And this is a great service for creators because so many podcast creators had never monetized before. So the fact that there was now the service that they could just check a box and start making money was, was a no brainer for them. Um, but you know, it, it was a new product and podcast advertising w wasn't really mature in the time. And so it was tough to get advertisers to sign up for this. So one of the things we accidentally sort of stumbled into was we started advertising on the podcasts ourselves. We as Anchor. So Anchor was one of the brands. And we found that that was a really valuable mechanism for actually growing Anchor such that it was actually um, ROI positive. Like we were able to put, put dollars into the system. Creators were getting paid. We were getting more out of it than we put in in terms of the value we got out of them marketing Anchor. And so I do think there are potentially lessons in there for companies that want to help fund creators per your question, um, just about like trying to find the right model. Like what is the right model such that we can fund creators, fund creativity, but do it in a way that doesn't require just us to like take out debt or raise a bunch of VC uh, that we're going to blow through uh, just to attract an audience of creators. It needs to be done responsibly and, and in a cost efficient way. Totally. I think for the, the, the question from the creator perspective is, can the creator get upside? You know, the, yeah, we're, we're, you know, in, in the things that they're advertising, we've, we've seen that they can get a lot of cash. We've seen that they can move the numbers for, for some products that they're promoting. And the question is, is there a way for creators to transcend their, their own businesses, which might have a short shelf life, their, their own brands to, to get equity value in, in something bigger than themselves? Do, do you, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I'll admit I didn't go as deep on uh, Web3 as, as maybe some others um, when I know, you know, I know 
it feels like what you're talking about was a very um, was a very common uh, question and theme only just a few years ago. You know, through the emergence of Web three, and you know, can can the participants in a platform also be owners in the platform? Um, I think if you were to use traditional traditional structures around equity um, and some of the some of the regulations we have here in the U.S. would make that challenging. But perhaps there is a way to do it. Totally. Let, let's just. What, what do you think? I mean, I, have you gone deep on this? I'm um, I'm trying to through this through this podcast. Actually, I I, I think that um, creators are looking at something like Mr. Beast and seeing how Feastable, you know, within uh, seems under a couple of years is already uh, a unicorn, and um, and other creators too. There was one that raised uh, forty million dollars from the Churning Group to uh, to build a car marketplace. He has some car YouTube channel that that's taken off, and so I, I think. We're seeing both creators uh, get hip to the opportunity uh, to build something bigger than themselves. Um, we're seeing, we're also seeing, you know, on the, the venture side or startup side, you know, acquisition costs continue to rise um, and distribution to continue to to be the hardest thing to to crack for for some companies. And so, partnering with with a smart creator on a, an equity value or, or you know some uh, enterprising. Uh, operator saying, "Hey, we're going to uh, you know find a number of creators who dominate certain niches, pair them with an operator, and build um, you know either a commerce pro you know a product or a um, or a, a software uh, you know a marketplace or or software tool a uh, SaaS tool um, around that niche. It, it seems to be um, an opportunity people are exploring, and uh, I'm curious. Hey, are, are these?" you know, the ones that are working out just anomalies, or is that actually a trend that, that will continue? Super interesting. You and I are going to have to jam on that offline so I can get smarter. Totally. The, uh, let, let, let's, let's transition a bit to um, consumer social uh, more generally. Um, where do you see white, white space uh, th there? Um, or, or anything you're, you're excited about? Or do you have any requests for, for startups and, and, <laughs> or, or, or experimentation in, in vision and uh, consumer social more broadly? Yeah, I'm I'm actually somewhat excited by consumer social. I know I know like I don't know. I feel like a lot of people feel like consumer social is impossible. Um, so here's why I'm excited by consumer social. Every social platform, every major scale social platform in the world right now has sort of abandoned their existing strategies and gone all in on what I call recommendation media, and that's effectively like the TikTok TikTokification of social media, right? The platform um, deprioritizes their investments in social connections and leans much more heavily into algorithmic content discovery and distribution. Um, you know, in that sense, a follower account that a creator may have on a or a person may have on a platform becomes much less valuable um, because, at the end of the day, the platform is making the decision around how media and content is distributed. And so, what you have is the biggest platforms in the world, the Instagrams of the world looking far more like entertainment than they look like social media. But that, that sort of leads to two points. Number one, um, people are always going to want to socialize with each other and, and engage uh, with each other on a, um, on, you know, connect, connect with one another. That will never go away. I don't think. Um, and number two, if all the world's biggest social platforms are taking on a new strategy, does that potentially open up an opportunity uh, for a new challenger to emerge in consumer social for the first time in, let's call it, 10 or 15 years. Uh, it feels like there's a window of opportunity. 
Now, the thing is, I think in order for a challenger to be successful here, they probably need to rethink the business model a little bit because I think what TikTok proves is that an ads-based social media business, effectively all, all, all roads lead to TikTok. Like TikTok is the ultimate optimization of, of an ads-based social media model, right? Just maximize engagement. If you maximize engagement through algorithmic content discovery, then uh, then you're probably going to have the perfect machine that is TikTok. And so I think for a new entrant to to emerge, like you probably need to rethink how content gets discovered and distributed. And to do that, you probably have to rethink the business model a little bit. Now, I don't know what that is, um, but I but but one of the things I've been pulling on a little bit is, you know, TikTok and let's call it Reels and Instagram. They, they are effectively putting the algorithm or the AI or the machine learning to work for them. I don't really know. This isn't a fully fleshed thought, but like I do wonder, is there is there a model or a product where a, for, for consumer social where the AI can kind of go to work for the consumer? And again, may, maybe that requires um, the funding of that discovery and distribution to shift from from being, you know, ad funded to maybe user funded. But if you just think about how much content there is in the world today and how much more content there will be in the future, especially as we talked about, media always becomes democratized, especially through AI. Um, I feel like people are going to need ways to, 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 to sift through the ocean of content out there. And, and, maybe, and maybe that's actually an opportunity for AIs that work for people. So, so I don't know what the solution is here. I don't know what the answer is here, but I do think there are these sort of uh, these macro opportunities that exist, and there are a lot of smart people out there building right now. I, I'm I'm confident somebody's somebody's going to take advantage of the opportunity. That's a fascinating idea. I'm curious, have you seen uh, examples of people doing even something remotely like that? Or I'm I'm curious to I'm trying to paint a picture a little bit more of what, what it could look like. Yeah, not not really. But here's I'll give you an example of. Um, uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk about like a parallel that might give you some inspiration. So, are, you know, are you familiar with uh, stability.ai? Yes. So, so the thing that this is, this is like a adjacent sort of example, but if you think about what stability does versus say, let's just say Dolly, right? Um, you can think about OpenAI, open, <laughs> OpenAI Dolly as sort of like this closed source uh, imaging model. Um, and you can think about stability.ai as this open source imaging model. And the cool thing about the way that stability is built and designed is that because it's a, partially because it is open source, it can effectively be deployed locally um, to a device or to a user. And, and that's why, um, you know, a lot of the products that have stability, like the, the model is actually baked into the application. It's not hosted on a cloud somewhere. And, you know, what that says to me is like, the model can actually be personalized specifically for the user. Like the model can learn and be trained specifically to the user's interests or tastes or styles or aesthetics. And so, you know, if you imagine this in some sort of like creative tool or like art tool, um, you know, where, where maybe stability is sort of generating media on behalf of, of the creator, it can do it in such a way that it's like, it's perfectly tuned to that creator. So instead of like going to Dolly and searching for, I don't know, whatever, beautiful mountain mural in the style of Van Gogh, I don't know. Um, you know, this this other version of the imaging model is actually creating content 
that matches your aesthetic and your style without you telling it to. It's trained to do this work for you. And, and so coming back to the original question and example, I just wonder if, if that's, that's a model that may take place through many other categories and verticals in the futures where like people have models that go to work for them, right? Like just in the context of social media, who, I have no idea if this makes sense. I'm just thinking about it right now. Like maybe there's a model that like is specifically tuned and I actually fund the tuning of this to be perfectly optimized for the content that I like to consume online. And it's not about the ads anymore. It's not about what drives ads. It's about what drives interest for me. And I have funded it in some way. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. And I realize it's a bit abstract and I, and I don't know if it's even technically possible, but it's, it's a concept that I've been spending some time thinking about. My, my, my friend, Michael Galper, a few years ago, tried, yeah, I know Michael. Yeah. He tried aviary. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. He tried this thing uh, called bot.me, which I think was, yeah, yeah, yeah. was, was getting at a few, maybe he's just, you know, way too ahead of his time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, fascinating to, to see some experiments there. The, um, I, I, uh, oh, sorry. No, go for it. I, I actually, so I, I, you know, my first Lightspeed, I'm a, so I'm a partner. We didn't, we didn't say this on this podcast yet, but, um, you know, I'm a partner at Lightspeed now and I'm making venture investments, um, in consumer software businesses. And actually the first investment I made was in a company called Circle Labs, which, uh, in many ways is, is very similar to the thing that Michael built years ago. It's a, it's a creator platform where people, the creators using the platform can create their own AI powered NPCs, similar to, to what Michael was doing back in the day. So I can make a bot effectively that is tuned and personalized exactly to what I want it to be and then deploy it to Discord where it can interface with any number of people or servers or channels inside of Discord. So um, I definitely do think Michael was was ahead of his time and, uh, and you know, it was a really cool concept then and, and I think is even is even cooler now. T totally. Where else uh, uh, in your capacity as an investor are you particularly excited about or, or you know, exploring rabbit holes on or, you know, looking to potentially fund? Yeah, I mean, this this notion of, uh, we, we talked about it a bit, this notion of like the democratization of media is always a trend that um, that I'm interested in. And I've been, and, and, and it's really because if you look at the history of the internet, it just always happens. It always repeats itself as the, as the tools get better, as uh, the bandwidth gets faster, um, as things get cheaper. So it's always a trend that I'm interested in following. And I think AI is, um, is a very, I was going to say complementary uh, sort of evolution to, to that, but, but maybe it's more than complementary, maybe actually fundamentally uh, game-changing for the democratization of media. It, it is fundamentally game-changing, I think, for the democratization of media. However, um, to caveat it a little bit, you know, going back to what we said earlier in the conversation, I don't think it's enough for um, for AI just to accelerate the creation of a certain form of media or make a tool easier to use. At the end of the day, I still think it comes back to what we said earlier, a differentiated format or a differentiated user experience. Um, you know, there are a number of products out there right now that are the simplest way I can explain them is they're they're building like the 2023 version of Instagram where the content and the imaging is AI generated. Now that's kind of interesting, but you know, there's no reason why Instagram couldn't just do that. There's not, there's nothing differentiated about the format. And so I think products or companies that want to be successful through the 
AI-powered democratization of media need to find differentiated and proprietary formats to do so. And if they and if they do, and if they can, um, those potentially become generational businesses. So that's definitely something uh, I'm looking at. Uh, it's very in line with with my experiences and my interests. And I think AI is is opening up a whole new opportunity for for companies like these. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. One thing I'm also I'm curious about is kind of the, the fragmentation of social media. My, my friend runs Farcaster, which is like crypto Twitter, effectively. And um, it, and I wonder if there are tools that, or if there's going to be kind of this like, um, if if social media is going to fragment significantly. Like you could have imagined, you know, the original Clubhouse at uh, you know 500 people or 1,000 people. You know, maybe if it stayed that way, it would maybe would have kept its engagement over time. And if you could imagine a, 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 a protocol or tool that enables like thousands of these kind of you know mid communities, mid sized community, like we have group chats and we have Twitter, um, but there isn't something in between. Whether it's audio or whether it's um, you know it looks like other formats we, we've seen, but just kind of more like mid sized social networks and something that enables that. What do you what do you think about that? I think it's interesting. I've, I've thought a little bit about this. I, I think the thing that has made me think about it is. Um, uh, this is not a commentary on on Twitter and whether or not Twitter will succeed or fail under Elon. Um, it's more it's more a commentary on as a result of that news cycle, there are a bunch of like Twitter you know competitors popping up, right? There's um, there's Post, there's T two, um, there there are others, right? Like I think people there there are entrepreneurs that say, hey, this is an opportunity to build a new social network, and I've tried all these products, and the thing that trying them has has made me realize it's like, huh. I really wish I could bring my follower graph along with me or my content or my tweets. And I think this is, this is, I think this like is kind of what Farcaster is, is sort of proposing. It's that like the protocol should be separated from the platform and, and you should be able to own um, all of your content and, and, and your graph that's in connection with that protocol. I think, by the way, I'm not super close to Farcaster. That makes a lot of sense to me. I may, I'm, I'll make a statement now that maybe naive and wrong. And again, and maybe this ties back to what I said earlier about how like I, I never went super, super deep on Web3. And so maybe I'd be like speaking, like showing my ignorance a little bit. But part of me does wonder, part of me is questioning why that doesn't end up turning into the same problem that standards have. Like we talked earlier about how like with standards, there's kind of like a ceiling that all products reach that adopt the standard reach because once you want to innovate, you kind of have to get everyone to agree to innovate together. Otherwise, you're sort of like out on a limb and you don't get the benefits of everything else. Again, without being an expert, like it's hard for me to see how that doesn't happen with this type of protocol as well. Like if if this protocol were to gain adoption, gain sort of a critical mass of adoption, there were tons of these services out there and they reach scale. What happens when the, you know, the next service comes along and wants to do something different. Do they sacrifice a lot of the benefits? Do the, do the users of that new service lose some of the benefits that they get from, from the protocol? Um, again, that, that, that may not add up for some reason that, that, um, that I have just not gotten smart enough on yet, but that's like where my head, that's where my head goes. Yeah. And, and similarly on, on the clubhouse side, they actually tried to enable these kind of like mid-sized audio rooms. And I, I was thinking about it, but I actually thought like, hey, I actually want my own branded one and my own se like separate app, like, you know, and, and to be on my own separate notification system. And so, yeah, there, there are some challenges with trying to enable these mid-sized 
kind of networks because they, they want to be unique and they want to be customized. Yep. Do, do, do you think that um, someone will figure out social audio or in a way that makes sense? Or is it just not the medium? Tough question. T- 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 uh, it's tough. You know, I think Clubhouse was was pretty amazing, actually. I mean, it's it's it's, it's still around. I mean, I think everything those those guys did, that team did, um, I have a ton of respect for. I think the challenge with Clubhouse was, um, I, I think, the synchronous format. I think the synchronous format, um, which, by the way, was, I would argue, what made it magical, was also the thing that made it really hard because the synchronous format requires that it brings everyone together in one place all at the same time. And that's just hard to do, right? Um, on the flip side, I... I don't know that doing the opposite and making it an asynchronous format would have worked either because as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, that's what Anchor tried to do. And it meant that we were going head to head with all the podcasting platforms. And so I think if, if by if by default Clubhouse had been like asynchronous or asynchronous as an option, they're immediately competing with every other platform. Um, but I think social audio in general is is just really hard because... I think the quality bar is higher for audio as we learn through through Anchor. And I think the, the speed at which humans can sort of like synthesize information through audio is just slower than other visual formats. And therefore, humans will probably more naturally gravitate towards those other formats. Um, so I don't know. I, I obviously never want to say never. But I will say through Anchor, we sort of uncovered every stone and rock and, uh, and, and you know, even obviously spent a lot of time talking about it at Spotify. And um, it's tough. I never say never. I mean, pe- there's so many smart people out there thinking about things in new ways. And every time a new technology comes out, you know, they, they think about new ways to incorporate that technology. So never say never. But I, I will say there are, there are a number of fundament- fundamental challenges with audio that make it really hard for social to work. Yeah, I um, totally. I, I want to be mindful of of, of your time. You've you've given a, a fascinating overview of where the bodies are buried in space, as well as where are the opportunities. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a great episode. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short form clips directly from Riverside. Because as any listener of this show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for Riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code MEDIAEMPIRES to get a 20% discount. Turpentine is a network of podcasts, newsletters, and more covering tech, business, and culture, all from the perspective of industry insiders and experts. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from AI with Cognitive Revolution to Econ 102 with Noah Smith. Our other shows drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, and investors, like Moment of Zen and my show Upstream. We're looking for industry-leading hosts and shows along with sponsors. If you think that might be you or your company, email me at eric at turpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co.